Good morning. I am really glad to be here with you today. We had this schedule for just a, almost a year ago, and we had some things that kind of got in the way and affected my uh, schedule and my ability to be here for a while, but I'm certainly glad that we have finally got this arranged and uh, are here to be with you today. I want to talk to you a little bit about something I've titled, Not My Will, and I want to start by talking about Jesus and where he was toward the end of his life. You know, when I think about Jesus, it's pretty natural for me to think, you know, the Son of God and you know, these big statues and this holy, holy, and he was all of that, but he was also a man. He was a guy like I am. He was just a human like you were. He had friends. Do you ever think about Jesus having friends? He had friends. Do you have friends? I got friends. Jesus' best friends were Peter, James, and John. And Jesus spent time with these guys. Jesus had other friends, though, than the apostles. He had a, a friend named Lazarus and his sister Mary and his sister Martha. They were good friends of Jesus. And in fact, we find when Jesus was in that area, he would stop and spend the night at their house. He would spend time with them. One time Jesus is out preaching and he gets a message that Lazarus is sick. And everyone who's around Jesus knows this guy can heal sick people. It's no problem. If you're a friend of Jesus, man, that's a good spot to be because he can heal sick people. And they call for Jesus. And he goes, well, guys, I'm busy right now. And he just keeps preaching. And he keeps preaching. And people are going, isn't he going to go take care of Lazarus? And he keeps preaching and working. And then he gets another message. Lazarus died. Dead? Yeah, Lazarus is dead. Jesus says, no, he's not dead. He's just asleep. <laughs> people go, no, no, no. He's dead. He goes, no, he's just asleep. Let's go see and so they go, and they get there, and he, not only is he dead, he's buried. I mean, they didn't put it off. They buried this guy. And Jesus gets there, and Martha's going, Oh, Lord, if you'd been here, you could have saved him. And Jesus said, He'll rise again. She goes, Yeah, in the judgment day, Lord. But I was really concerned about right now. I mean, I want him to, wanted him to live now. And he said, If you believe in me, you'll never die. He said a lot of enigmatic things, hard to understand. She doesn't understand he's on his way to the tomb right now. And he gets to the tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And this dead guy gets up and comes out of the grave. Wouldn't that be amazing to see? Wouldn't that be incredible? It's no wonder these people thought that Jesus would defeat the Romans. I mean, if the guy can raise my soldiers from the dead, I mean, what are you going to do? No wonder they thought he could do that. What would you do around someone who had the power to raise the dead? Well, his followers really believed him. But his enemies? What do you do about that? You know what they decided? They said, we've got to kill this guy. I mean, if he can raise people from the dead, everybody will believe in him. We've got to kill him and Lazarus. We can't have Lazarus running around. But if we just kill Lazarus, he can raise Lazarus from the dead, so we've got to kill him. From that time on, they set their mind to kill Jesus. And he leaves, and he goes up north, and he 
talks to the rich young ruler and he comes back down, he talks to Zacchaeus and a lot of different things happen the next month or so as he's headed back to Jerusalem. And when he comes to Jerusalem, there is a ticker tape parade. I mean, like you won the World Series. They are laying branches in the road and the king has come and he is going to liberate us from Rome. It's going to be wonderful. And he gets into town, but instead of doing that, he goes to the temple and he chases people out of the temple and throws over tables and, and gets all in the face of the religious leaders. And people are going, oh, I, I this guy's slipping a little bit. Something's not right here. Toward the end of that week, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I want very much to keep the Passover with you. So they go and they find a room and they have the Passover. And you remember the story where Jesus is getting down to wash their feet, and Peter says, not my feet, Lord. And he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Peter says, then wash me from head to toe. And you remember all that story. And then they sing a song. They send Judas out. Judas goes out to betray Jesus, and they sing a song, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's outside of town a little ways, and Jesus leaves his apostles all on one side of the road except his three best friends, and he takes them with him into the garden. And he goes into the garden, and he tells them, he says, I want you to pray. I want you to watch, and I want you to pray. And he went just about as far as you could throw a rock. And he knelt down, and he began to pray. And he prayed the prayer that's the subject of what I want to talk with you about this morning. This was a prayer that I originally called the agony of submissive prayer because it was a very agonizing and submissive thing. I want you to read with me. It says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from the prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. I want to talk about this kind of prayer. Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. That's a hard prayer. This is the culmination of human history. It began in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, and the culmination of human history ends here in the garden when Jesus prays this agonizing prayer. So let's talk about prayer. Do you pray? I mean, we've, we've said prayer here in the assembly, but I'm talking about you personally. You talk to God. You pray to Him. You know, prayer is just intentional communication with God. It's what it is. I mean, all of us at some time, at some moment, have cried out, Oh, God, help me. 
But I'm talking about when you pray, you're intentionally communicating with God. Now, we know from reading the Bible that when we read the Bible, that's God communicating with us. When we pray, that's us communicating with God. It's when we go and we tell God the things that are on our heart. Now, we all understand that you're not giving God information when you pray. You're not going, okay, God, I, I had a rough day. And he's going, oh, really? What happened? Tell me about it. He knows. He knows everything that happened in your day. It's not just telling him something. It's communicating with him. It's building a relationship with God. And I hope that you take time every day to intentionally pray. You know, I have a son who has just turned 20 years old, and he is, uh, he's busy in his life. He's got a job, he's got school, he's got a girlfriend, he's got life plans, and he comes in at the end of the day, and sometimes he'll come in and he'll go, hey, Dad, guess what? I probably don't really care about what it is he's going to tell me, but I love that he wants to tell me. You know, he, he does DoorDash, so he delivers. He goes and delivers food to people. He called me the other day. He goes, Dad, guess what? I said, what? He said, I got a $30 tip. I said, wow, that's cool. You're set for life. I didn't really care that he had a $30 tip, but I love that he wants to talk to Dad. I love that he cares about it. We try to go out to coffee every week, he and I. And I like it when he comes to me and says, Hey, Dad, can you do coffee tomorrow? I like that because that communicates. You've got to have that communication. Communication is important in any relationship, isn't it? You communicate with your spouse. I know some people have been married for years don't hardly even talk. That's not good. That's not a good relationship. There has to be communication. Now, some things about prayer and communicating with God. Number one, prayer reveals who you really are. I want you to think about the last time you prayed. Now, I'm not talking about the prayers we had in the assembly. I'm not talking about your meal prayers. I'm talking about the last time that you bowed your head and talk to your God. Do you remember? Do you remember? Think about it. Do you remember when that was? What did you say? What did you talk about? Was it something spiritual? Or was it something physical? Was it, oh, Lord, please, don't let, don't let me get downsized. Or was it something spiritual? You know, what we pray about in our honest moments when you're later in that day or later in your life, you can look back and you can see what's really on your heart. It reveals the kind of person you really are. You know, that's true of all of us in all communication. If you have a, a friend who always just wants to talk about themselves, do you have any friends like that? Guess what's important to that friend? When you talk to God, what kinds of things do you say to Him? If you can honestly look back, that will reveal your heart. Number two, I want you to know that God answers prayer. 
The Bible teaches us plainly that God answers prayer and it teaches us to pray. Now, I've known people who say, God knows everything. There's no use in going and talking to God. I mean, He already knows it. He'll do whatever He wants to do. The Bible is full of stories about God answering prayer. Why would all those stories be in the Bible if God doesn't answer prayer? He answers prayer. The thing is, He doesn't always answer prayer the way we would like for Him to answer prayer. And He doesn't always answer prayer the way we understand that He should answer prayer. You know, when I was a young man, um, a young preacher, I had been preaching real long, and I got into a situation with a church that there was a real bad problem in this church. I mean, really bad. Bad enough that those of us who were attending there met one Sunday morning, had a service, and then discussed disbanding the congregation. I mean, it was bad. And I didn't know what to do. Sean, I was just a young guy. I didn't know. But you know what I did know? God said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all men. And I believed that. And I lacked wisdom. And I asked God. I said, God, please... Help me know what to do. I don't know what to do, God. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And for, I mean, a while, weeks, I would go visit people trying to work out this problem. And I really believed that one day I would drive up in a driveway and I'd go, ah, that's what I do. And he would tell me what to do. He never did. He never told me how to fix that problem. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, we got a problem here. Do you have any advice? And he goes, well, son, in a situation like this, you need to consider this and this and this. And I called Joe Richardson in Bridgeport. And I called Gerald Hanley. And I called Tex Monk. And they all gave me counsel and they all gave me advice that I wasn't getting from God. And you know what? We figured out what to do and we did that and we honored God and the church was saved. But it bothered me. I'm just being honest. It bothered me. And I thought for a long time, I thought, God, you told me you would give me wisdom and I ask you for it. And you said you'd do it, and you didn't do it. It was quite a while later before I understood. You know what? He did answer that prayer. He surrounded me with wise counselors to give me his wisdom. He didn't, boom, put it into me. Now, see, the problem was I thought he'd answer it the way I, I figured he'd answer it. He answered the prayer. He just answered it differently than I expected him to answer it. The other part of that truth is sometimes God says no when you ask Him for something. In this story we're talking about, He tells His Son, Jesus, no. He says no. When you go to God with a prayer, with a request, it's not a demand, it's a request. And you ask Him, and He is God, you are not. He judges you, you do not judge Him. And sometimes He's going to tell you no. I've known a lot of people get angry at God when God tells them no. I've known a lot of kids get mad at mom and dad when mom and dad tell them no, right? 
Sometimes there's things that we don't understand. Sometimes the answers that God gives us, we don't understand until much later. Sometimes we may never understand them. But He is God. It reveals who you are. God does answer prayer. The third thing I want to point out about prayer is that prayer changes you. The primary goal of prayer is not to change God. Okay? I'm not saying God never changes His mind. We've got stories in the Bible where people prayed and God did change His mind about something. But what I am telling you is the primary value in prayer is that prayer changes you. It's building that relationship. It's learning to trust God. Now, when my oldest daughter was about 15 years old, uh, we got a phone call one day, and one of her very best friends had been killed in a freak accident. That was hard. That was hard on her. We all shed tears. That young man had been at our house just a couple of nights before that. He was killed. And I'll, I'll never forget those, those moments and those days right after that. And later that night, after it began to sink in, I went upstairs and Jordan was in her room. And I went in and I sat down on the edge of her bed and she sat there with me and laid her head on my shoulder and wept. She was not asking me to raise that kid from the dead. She was not asking me to fix it. She wasn't asking me to make it okay. She was just sharing her broken heart with her father. That's what she was doing. She was learning to trust dad. And you know, when things go throughout her life now, she can trust dad. She knows. She knows that dad's there. That's the way it is with God. When your heart is broken, when you've got something that is really tough, you can go to God and you can say, God, this hurts. I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. Without expecting Him to change it, without expecting Him to fix it, but knowing you can trust Him. There was a point in my children's lives that they all got afraid of the dark. You know, at some point, point as they grow up and we have a two-story house and I would tell them at night I'd say okay it's time for bed go to bed and they'd get up to that landing and they would turn and look up and it was dark and they'd go daddy it's dark I'd say yes it's time to go to bed go to bed and they'd say but daddy it's dark up there and I would usually, not always, but I would usually walk up to the landing and say, okay, come on, let's go. And I'd take them by the hand and we would walk up into the darkness. And you know, not one time ever did they refuse to go upstairs when I walked with them. You know why? Because I trust Daddy. They knew I could kill the boogeyman under the stairs or uh, under the bed or wherever it was. They, they trusted Daddy. And you know, a lot of times in prayer, what prayer is, is me learning to trust God in the hard, difficult, challenging situations that I face in my life. You know, Jesus comes to this moment. and The Bible tells us over and over and over that Jesus departed and went up into the mountain to pray. We don't know what he said to God. I would love to know 
some of those some of those things. But on this particular prayer, God pulls back the curtain and He lets us have a moment of time to listen in, to eavesdrop, so to speak, while Jesus Christ talks to His Father in heaven. And I want to consider with you what He says. First, He says, Father, Father, if this is your will, take this cup away from me. Father, do you call God your Father? Do you think of God as your Father? You can nod your head, yes, that's okay. Yeah. Did you know until Jesus came that no one in the Bible talked about God this way? They talked about God maybe as the father of the nation of Israel. Nobody had a personal, he's my dad kind of father thing. No one did that. But Jesus opened that up. Jesus changed that. Jesus bridged that relationship between mankind who had sinned and turned away from God, who now could walk with God. And we can call God Father. And so when things are difficult and hard in your life, which they will be at some point, you can go to God and you can say, Father, just like Jesus did. Dad, this is on my mind. This is what's hurting or burdening me down. And then he says this, Father, if it is your will. The Bible tells us that he was in agony when this happened and that God sent angels to strengthen him. Now, remember he's left Peter and James and John and asked them to pray, right? But his prayer partners failed him. Okay, You ever had a prayer partner that failed you? You ever had a moment at night when you're laying there trying to talk to your husband or your wife or maybe your parents and you're telling them something that's really deep, maybe your best friend? and it's really on your heart, and you're really opening up, and you hear, <laughs> that ever happened to you? You know they done checked out. Jesus goes back, and his disciples are asleep. He says, guys, can't you wait with me just an hour? Really, guys? But it's late, and they're full of sorrow, and sorrow makes you tired. And Jesus goes back, and so God sends an angel. I don't know what you think about that, but I believe in angels. I believe there's a spiritual world that we don't see with our eyes. The Bible says that angels are messengers and ministers. They have a message from God, and they minister for those who will inherit eternal life. You know who that is? It's us right here. I don't know exactly what all they do, but I know in this case, they came and they strengthened Jesus Christ. And then Jesus prays again, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not your, my will, but yours be done. If it is your will. You know, it's not always God's will to take a problem away from us. It's not always God's will to do that. And Jesus understood that as a father. They're having this painful, heartfelt, difficult discussion. And Jesus' heart is filled with sorrow. You know, now, he's, he knew this was coming. He agreed to this before the foundation of the world. But now it's here. Dad. Dad, they're coming to get me. They're going to beat me, Dad. 
They're going to spit in my face. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head and beat on it with a rod. Father, they're going to lie about me. They're going to accuse me of blaspheming you. I don't want to do this. Not saying that I won't, but can we look just one more time? Is there something, is there anything else we can do? You know, this isn't some time of great theological reasoning. They're not trying to, trying to talk about the foundations of theology. This is just distress and cries and tears of father and son together. It's not going to be easy, son. But it's going to work out. You know, God never guarantees you and I that it's going to work out here on this earth. But it will work out. You know, I go to Nigeria, and I'll just be honest with you, my wife does not like me going to Nigeria. She didn't like it. She didn't want me to go. She's told me that... Uh, she says, I'm afraid you're going to die over there. I'm afraid you're not going to come home. And I say, yeah, but we have to trust God. And she says, oh, I trust God. She says, I believe that if you die in Nigeria and don't come home, that that's the best and that's right and that's God's plan. I believe all of that. I just don't believe he's going to do what I want. That's the honest truth. She's just being honest. That's where Jesus is right here. Father, is there anything? Have you ever had those thoughts, those words? The times when you're broken? You hear the word? Divorce? Death? Cancer? Adultery? I never want to see you again? You're fired? You know what I'm talking about. Most of you know when it happened to me. April the 10th of last year. Got up that morning, woke up. I was in Chicago with my wife and my daughter and her husband and his parents. And you know how sometimes you just have that feeling that something's not right? And I thought, I need to check on Jacob. And I had... You know, on my phone, I can look to see where he's at. And it said he was in Gainesville, Texas. Now, he was supposed to be in Lindsay, Oklahoma, at my parents' house. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why does it say he's in Gainesville, Texas? And then I thought, well, you know, maybe he, had, he got called into work and he had to turn around and come back home, and he's on his way to work. And uh, I thought, I'm going to look and see if he sent me a text message. And I looked at my notifications, and there was no text from him, but there was a ring doorbell notification. I thought, oh, well, you know, that's him coming home. And I hit it, and I watched, and it was a police officer standing on my front porch. And I knew. I just knew. And I said, oh, God. And about that time, the phone rang, and it was that police officer. And he said, is this Mr. McCorkle? I said, yes, sir. 
He said, do you have a son named Jacob McCorkle? I said, yes, sir. He said, I regret to inform you that he was hit by a drunk driver last night. He said, he is still alive, but that's all I know. He's in critical condition, and here is the phone number of the hospital where he's at. And I cried, oh God. The worst night. And I called the hospital and they said, he's in critical condition, he's going into surgery right now. And I said, I'm in Chicago and I'll get there as quick as I can. And I told Carrie and we cried and we prayed. And I went next door and knocked on the door and I told Jordan and David and we cried and we prayed. And we went to the airport and this wonderful lady there, a little angel, I believe in angels. She helped us get on the next flight and get on the front of the flight, get in first and get out first. And we got to the hospital. And I want you to know, all of my life, I've been the answer man. Okay, I'm the one people came to for answers. And I figured, I give counsel and I help people. And I want you to know, when you walk into a hospital and your child is in a coma on a breathing machine and you don't know if they're going to live, you don't have answers. I didn't have a plan. I didn't walk in there and go, okay, here's what we need to do. I got nothing. I got nothing. And I said, God, please. I got nothing. That's where Jesus is at this moment. He had, please, Father, is there any other way is there anything else you can do is there anything the bible calls it agony deep distress distress and vehement cries and tears now i want you to know god is not ever going to ask you to die for the sin of the world jesus already did that but he may ask you to walk through some really hard stuff he may ask you to trust Him when things are really, really tough. And it's when you're in that spot that you and I have to learn to say, not my will, but yours. Not the way I want it, but the way you want it. We have to learn to take God's hand and walk into the darkness that's in front of us when we don't want to go there. But we can because we're holding the hand of our Savior. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want you to know in that moment, I had a will. I had a will. And it was hard to say to God, you know what? I want what I want, but more than that, I want what you want. And that's what this is. That's what this boils down to. It's not you don't have a will. It's not you don't have a preference. It's not that you wouldn't give your life for something. It's, Father, I want this. I want it bad, and it can be loud and vocal and emotional. I want this, God. I need this. Please, please. But I want what you want more than I want what I want. 
That's why I called it the agony of submissive prayer. It's agony to submit yourself that completely to God. But it's right. It's what God has called you and I to do. And I have no doubt in times in your life, it's going to be hard. In times in your life, you may have weakness and tears and suffering. But Jesus did too. And He understood that. And He called us to that. To be that kind of person who submits my will to His will, not my will. You know, the irony is not lost on me that this is God saying to God, I have a different will than you have. But I'm going to submit that will to you. That was a very amazing and painful moment. You might think, well, he's God. I mean, he's son of God. He knows, right? I mean, he knows he's going to be raised from the dead. Why is he so upset about this? Sometimes we think, if I just knew, if I just knew what was going to happen, knowing didn't help Jesus. Sometimes knowing doesn't fix the problem. I looked for a picture of a painful cup, and this is what I found. That'd be a painful cup to drink from, wouldn't it? This cup, what is up with this cup? Did you know the Bible talks about this cup all through the Bible? Let me show you a couple of places. Ezekiel called it the cup of horror and desolation. Isaiah called it the cup of wrath and trembling. Jeremiah called it the cup of fury. This is the cup that Jesus has in front of him. And in my mind as we listen in on this prayer and I look and I see a father and a son seated at a table and there sits that cup and that cup is full of of horror and desolation and the wrath of God. You see, every time someone commits a sin, there's another drop of the wrath of God in that cup. And that cup is filled to the brim with the wrath of God on the sin of man. And Jesus says, Dad, Dad, I don't want That's your wrath on sin. Dad, isn't there another way? Isn't there anything else we can do? And the Father and the Son, with broken hearts and tears, Dad slides that cup back across the table to the Son. He says, you don't have to drink this, but we can't save them if you won't. my will. I want you to know that he took that cup. Jesus drank that cup. He took the wrath of God for you. He didn't want to. He took the desolation and the horror and the fury of hell for you. 
He didn't want to. But he did. He drank that cup. That's why he was sleepless. That's why he trembled. That's why he sweat blood. Because he took the wrath of God for you. And I call you today to this. I call you to that very same prayer. I call you to the prayer that says to God, this is not what I want to do. This is not how I want to spend my life. This is not what I want. But God, if it's what you want, I want that more than I want what I want. Can you pray that? Are you willing to tell God that I want what you want more than I want what I want? That's where the rubber meets the road as Christians. That's where we decide. That's where we choose. That's where we decide I'm going this way or I'm going that way. And praise God Almighty, Jesus said, give me the cup instead of send the angels. Because he could have said send the angels. But he didn't. He said, give me the cup. And he took it and he drank it who in those days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. God could have saved him. And God did hear him. But it was the will of God that he take that cup for you and I. You may not have been here yet, but you will. And when you're there, I call you to this humble kind of a prayer, this kind of prayer that says, here's what I want, God. Here is what I will give my life for, God. But I'd rather have what you want because you're God. And you know, and I trust you. That's what faith is. Faith is not just believing. Faith is trusting. And it's I trust you, no matter how bad and hard it is, I trust you. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him that way? If you haven't, you need to make that choice today. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you want to declare that trust for God, we have set aside this time specifically in this service for you to stand in front of everyone here and say, yeah, I want to put that kind of trust in God. If you haven't and you need to, we give you the opportunity to do that. If you'll come to the front, we stand and sing.